Uh, welcome to Pictures. We are a stream along film criticism podcast. In this episode, we are watching the new Bob Ross documentary on uh, Netflix. Uh, it's called Bob Ross Happy Accidents, Betrayal, and Greed. Welcome to the pictures. Um, so in this episode, we're doing a the Bob Ross documentary that just dropped on Netflix. It's called Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal, uh, and Greed. Um, so I don't have any uh, real housekeeping issues at the moment, so we can just uh, sort of dig right into it. Directed by Joshua Rolfe, I believe. I was reading this was produced by... Um, uh, by Melissa McCarthy, who is a pretty well-known comedic actress. Uh, and you know how these things sort of work. Once you get a certain amount of success, a certain amount of money, the, you get your own production company. And I think they wanted to use their production company to do a Bob Ross documentary. And uh, according to their story, it turned out you know quite differently than they expected. They expected to do a documentary about Bob Ross, the painter. And as you can see from the film... You know, half of the film, or perhaps a little more, uh, isn't really about Bob Ross at all. It's about uh, the uh, Bob Ross company, which is sort of a shady business uh, set up by his business partners uh, after he died uh, to monetize his legacy. And apparently millions of dollars have been going to these people. And his son, who was supposed to be his heir... Um, hasn't received any of that money, uh, which was Bob Ross's intention. And so it, it, it's more about the financial dealings than it is about Bob Ross. And I think that that is one of the central points of criticism um, of the film. So anyways, my my take on the film, so like, uh, so... That's a lot of fun. Um, so Bob Ross is someone that I I don't really respond to the way that a lot of people do. Bob Ross is he was a painting instructor. He had a show on PBS in like the eighties and nineties. I remember the show. Uh, I remember watching public te- if you watch public television back then. You know, this was back in the day when there weren't that many shows on TV, right? There's only three channels and four if you count PBS, and then Fox came along to five. But I mean, basically, there was like you know four or five channels on on television um and so if you were flipping around the channels back then you would run into bob ross and i ran into bob ross a couple times when i was younger i never really got it like it just seemed like a weird dude with frankly bad paintings like they just looked (laughs) i never liked those paintings they just looked weird to me like they didn't look i mean they don't look like what was hanging in museums right they don't look anything like that and, and they explain in the film a little bit, it's a different type of painting. It's like some sort of quick, dry paint or something. I don't know. But um, that you can just normally paint like an hour or so. So it's like a really easy, it's a really easy way to learn how to paint. But it, it uh, it's to my eye at least, and I'm not an art critic, but it, to my eye it's not uh, a very interesting uh, form of painting. And so I just thought there's this dude who's like super enthusiastic about making bad paintings. <laughs> And it's kind of funny. It's kind of weird. Uh, and his hair is kind of funny and kind of weird. Uh, and that was my only thought about Bob Ross. I, I vaguely remember that show, and I vaguely remember, you know, flipping through it a couple times. Uh, and then later, um, you know, just in the last five years or so, so that, you know, that was the 80s, 90s. In the last five years or so, Bob Ross has become huge. Like, he's become, like, an icon. Uh, and people, they, like, his his... Old shows on YouTube get like millions and millions of views. People are putting Bob Ross memes on social media. Uh, you show you, it's they show a clip of it in the film where people are dressing up as Bob Ross for like Halloween and stuff. And he's become a phenomenon, and part of the reason is uh, his voice. Uh, and they explain in the film that he intentionally spoke in a soft, low voice uh, to try to make people feel at ease. And a, apparently there is a group of people who uh, are into listening to voices like that because they they 
um, feel that helps them relax, basically. There's a whole science to it called ASMR or whatever, but basically that's what it means. Um, and he's become sort of a, uh, an icon in that cult. And so it's kind of, I mean, to me, it's just kind of like an internet joke, kind of like... Um, it's it it they're kind of making fun of Bob Ross, but in a in a very gentle, lighthearted, admirative way. Sort of like uh, what was that early sort of internet meme? Um, the Rick Rolling, right? And there's that song, "Never Gonna Give You Up, Never Gonna Let You Down." Nobody really liked that song, but it was just so like lighthearted and ridiculous that people sort of liked uh, linking to it on the online. Um, and it became a whole, and it had a whole second life, right? And so Bob Ross is kind of like that. He was, he had this uh, first life on PBS as a painting instructor that uh, apparently had an audience. I mean, you see in the film that he had a pretty big audience. Um, but then later, a later generation has discovered him in the last five to ten years, and it's more of sort of a. Um, it, it, and on the one hand, it's an appreciation of him. I think they're. They, you see in the film, there really are people who appreciate him, which I had not known. Uh, I thought it was kind of just all just a joke, which is what I've always thought about Bob Ross. I've always thought Bob Ross was kind of like, you know, it was just kind of like a, a joke, but, it, you know, a, a nice joke. A, you know, it's not someone you like to make fun of because you don't like him, right? But it's just, you know, it's just sort of funny. It's just this weird dude who, like, with weird hair who uh, teaches painting. He's really enthusiastic about painting, even though he's not that good at it. I mean, that's what I've always thought about Bob Ross. Um, and so obviously this documentary, I think, was intended to just explore that phenomenon. And instead, uh, as oftentimes happens in documentary filmmaking, they discovered a whole different story that, uh, is in a lot of ways more interesting, but also in more human and more... Uh, you know, you could say more salacious. It is, but I think that's this part of the criticism of the film is that it, uh, you know, why focus on the salacious details of his business arrangements when you could have made a, a documentary about Bob Ross, the human being. But I, I can't really fault the filmmakers for that. Um, you know, not because everyone needs a paycheck or whatever. I mean, even even like once you start interviewing Bob Ross's son. And you say, what was, what was your father like? And then, and then you ask a question like you normally would. Be like, oh, what's it like to, you know, be you know, getting these millions of dollars in royalties? And it's like, well, I don't get any royalties. It's like, well, wait, why not? I mean, once you start asking basic questions about this, I mean, you know, they uncovered a story that nobody knew that actually is kind of important to the Bob Ross story. And uh, they chose to tell that story in... in Basically, instead of telling Bob Ross's story, I mean, obviously, the Bob Ross story is in here. There is quite a bit of material on who Bob Ross was as a person and as a as a human being, as a teacher. Uh, there's a lot of positive stuff in here, but I think most people walk away from it um, outraged by uh, uh, the business arrangements that uh, that happened uh, while he was alive and then especially after he died. And, of course, the subtitle is Happy Accidents, Betrayal, and Greed. So, I mean, the subtitle is pretty much emphasizing that that aspect of the story as well. And so, I, I, but I can't fault the filmmakers for that, right? If uh, they stumbled into something that was unexpected and a story that hadn't been told. I mean, the, the one of the purposes of documentary filmmaking is to tell stories that people don't know, right? Not, not to retell stories that people already know. And I don't think anybody was expecting the Bob Ross documentary to drop and be like, oh, all the all the money we're buying on these Bob Ross T-shirts isn't going to Bob Ross's family. It's going it's going to uh, these two his two business partners who, you know, forcibly uh, uh, stole basically stole. I mean, they may have done it in a legal way, but they basically, you know, bullied people into signing over the the rights to his name. I mean, it's how, how do you not tell a story? How do you uncover that story? And they'd be like, yeah, you know what? We're just going to make a positive documentary about about how people love Bob Ross and, you know, how they how the ASMR community is on fire about Bob Ross's on YouTube, on YouTube. It's like, no, you can't you can't uncover that story and not tell it. Right. So I don't fault the filmmakers for that at all. I don't think they were trying to, um, you know, focus on a negative story just so they get clicks and retweets and. Uh, just so it would go viral on Netflix. I, I I don't I don't think that was their intention. I think they uncovered a story that that uh, they 
once they learned, they couldn't not tell, right? They just couldn't put, they couldn't obscure that in the documentary. And, and you can tell, I mean, a lot of times when, I find this when I, I, I do genealogical research, and as part of my genealogical research, sometimes I interview family members in the same way that um, documentary uh, filmmakers interview their subjects. And you can just sort of tell when you start interviewing some somebody what they want to talk about. Uh, and you can definitely tell from the interviews with Bob Ross's son and with the two painters whose names I've uh, slipped, slipped my mind, but they're, they're the flower painters, right? The painters who do the flowers. You can just tell from them that they were itching to tell the story of the Kowalskis, right? They were just itching to burn these people. And that's what they wanted to talk about, right? And of course, the, the, the documentary had a bit of a broader focus. And uh, yes, there was more to Bob Ross's story than just um, the, uh, the shadiness of, of, of what happened after he died. But you can tell that's what the subject wanted to talk about. Right, they wanted to talk about that, and I've experienced that as well. When I interview people, and I have all these questions, and then you know you start asking the questions, and they just steer the conversation to whether they want to talk about, right? And that seems like what happened with this film is that you know they really wanted to talk about, and they really wanted people to know um, what happened after Bob died with relationship with with respect to the Kowalskis, and how can you fault them for that? Right. It is an injustice. How can you fault them for wanting to talk about it? And how can you fault the filmmakers for, for putting it in the film? When that's what that's what their subject wanted to talk about. And of course, that's what's interesting. So I, I, I don't think that uh, the criticism that I have read quite a bit of criticism uh, of the documentary, that it, it focuses too much on the business details. I, that was the story. Right. So you can talk about it. But that was that was the story. So um uh, and if it's anyone's fault, it would be the Kowalski's fault for making it the story. <laughs> you could have had a nice, happy Bob Ross documentary about all the landscapes and ASM, ASMR and all that, but the Kowalski's fucked up, uh, you know, um, did some shady shit, and uh, now it's being exposed because they burnt a lot of bridges and they they made a lot of enemies, and so that that is... That's those are the breaks, guys. So that that now the Bob Ross documentary has turned into a documentary about how evil these people are, and that's just what happened. So I I, I don't I can't fault the filmmakers for that at all. I don't think it's the filmmakers' fault in the slightest. Um. So, in terms of the theme, I mean, I do think that it's a it's an interesting uh, thematic story. So. Try to break this into the so the the, the non business part is sort of a story about you know I, an average person uh, of average talent you know finding meaning in uh, sharing something that helped him to heal with the rest of the world right so Bob Ross found healing in his painting right and he was able through teaching painting to help other people heal in the same way. Uh, and I think that's really important, right? I, I had always looked at Bob Ross before as a bad painter who was, uh, you know, su surprisingly confident in his abilities. Um, but seeing the documentary, you know, I see him now more as, I don't think his talent was painting. Right? I think his talent was teaching. Uh, and I think his talent was sharing his love of painting with other people. Um, and so, you know, I had not fully understood before seeing the documentary that um, people really connect with Bob Ross in a very genuine way. And I think where that connection seems to come from, it, it, it comes from that process of using an art or a craft uh, as a source of healing. Uh, and I don't, the, the documentary doesn't quite go into what Bob Ross's upbringing was like or what it is, but it certainly you get a sense from seeing it that, you know, he must have had some hardship. He must have had something that, that led him to be so obsessive with the painting and so committed to it. 
Um, and I, it, it does explicitly show in the film that many of his fans have, have had that experience, right? So they, they've had hardship in their lives and they use painting as a way of healing. So it, I, you know, I'd always thought of, of Bob Ross as, you know, a bad painter who was way too confident in his abilities. But, you know, seeing the film, I, I think now of him now more as, more as like an art therapist, right? Like, an, like a, you know, they, that is a, that is a thing, right? There are people who do like music therapy and art therapy and they use those sorts of things to try to um, heal people, um, you know, psychologically and emotionally. And I see him more in that light now. I see him more as like an art therapist. Uh, I don't, I don't think he is a good painter. I'm sorry. I just, I don't know a lot about art, but <laughs> I look at those paintings and I'm like, dude, that's, that's not my idea of art. You know, that's not, I look, I look at a Bob Ross painting and I look at a Manet or, you know, a Cezanne or something. And I'm just like, you know, bro, I, that's not quite the same level of talent, <laughs> right? Like it's just not in the same universe of talent. Um, and so before I had, I had thought of Bob Ross as just a bad painter who for some weird reason thought he was a really good painter and that's kind of funny right it's kind of funny when people are overconfident in their abilities but now i get it right now now i think i get it he's not a painter per se he he's an art therapist right who's teaching people to uh, you know resolve the conflicts in their life or heal from the traumas in their life by sharing his passion for painting, and it's not artistic painting; it's it's you know craft painting. It's it's like a hobby. It's like something you do. It's just you know it, it's the the motions, it's the rhythms, it's the it's it's the you know beauty, of the colors, and the landscape, right? It's it's just it's just about you know doing something and being creative. And and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with. I mean, most people who do anything are not the best in their field, um, and. And you could learn a lot from from people who um, who don't try to be the best, who, who don't try to be the, the top of their game, but who just try to who just find meaning in the process and in the and so I think that's what Bob Ross is all about. And Bob Ross, the you know the TV character, uh, I think that's what he's all about. Uh, it's all about trying to heal people and and be. Um, um, and just be, right? Just just be in the moment, you know. And so I, I, I think that's what the Bob Ross phenomenon uh, in the 80s and 90s was about. And, and even now, I think people people um, respond that way to it. So it, it's more about art therapy than it is about art. Because <laughs> I don't think it is art. I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't think these paintings are good. I don't know anyone who thinks that they're good. Uh, it's just sort of a... You know, it, it it's a it's a hobbyist thing that people get into because it it helps them heal in a certain way, and uh, you know I respect that, and I think that's a that's a, a an interesting thing in its own right. Um, uh, and so that it that I think is an interesting theme in terms of the the painting part of it. In terms of the business part of it, I mean. You know, it's just greed, right? I mean, I talk about greed a lot on the show because, you know, greed is something that I've dealt with a lot in my life, uh, unfortunately. Um, I, I I have suffered an enormous amount because of other people's greed. And I worry very much about, you know, whether or not that greed is also inside of me. Uh, I don't think it is in terms of like I, I, I see what the Kowalskis are doing and I just I can never imagine doing anything like that. It's ridiculous. You know, pressuring you know, pressuring a dying man to sign over his life rights so you can make money on him after he's dead. Uh, you know, not uh, publicizing his death so that uh, your customers think he's still alive and you know, he's still pulling the strings and really it's you and you're making all the money. I mean, it's just evil. Right. And, you know, you read about some of this stuff. I mean, it, and it does remind me of, you know, Bernie Madoff and um, uh, who were those people? Oh, yeah. Uh, there was these people who they ran a, a, a company called Backpage.com. And Backpage.com was originally like it was kind of like a Craigslist. It was like a, a listing of things. And they made decent money on it. But then Backpage.com became a hub for child sex trafficking. And they knew that that was happening, 
they didn't do anything to stop it, however, because they were making so much money. And Congress actually had to write a special law because uh, there was a provision of an earlier law that exempted them from being liable for the child sex trafficking that was happening on their platform uh, because platforms are considered to be neutral spaces. And so the people responsible are the people who you know are posting the ads and doing their transactions, not the people who run the platform. But basically, they knew the platform was being used for child uh, sex trafficking. And they didn't do anything about it. And Congress had to write a special law just to um, just to to prosecute them, basically, uh, and they did. Uh, and I think they I, I think they were arrested. I think they lost their company. I don't know. But for years and years and years and years, they were profiting off of child sex trafficking. And the weird thing is, is that they just started out as two people. I mean, I think they were. It w- it was spun off of like a indie, um, like an indie local newspaper or something. It, it, that's how it started. And then uh, it grew from there, and then, but then he just started making all this money off of sex trafficking, and they just kept going. And you, know, you hear stories like that, and like I said, uh, you know, Madoff and basically half of everyone on Wall Street, hedge funds. I mean, it's, greed is just everywhere. It's crazy. Uh, and I don't know what to say about it. Like, I, I definitely more identify with the Bob Ross side of things, which is, you know, he had a certain skill and he wanted to make money off his skill, of course. Why wouldn't you, right? But he wasn't in it for the money. Right? I mean, there's a difference between being in it for the money and, you know, wanting to be responsible and pay your bills and, you know, make money, right? I mean, everyone wants to make a little money. But there's a big difference between making a little money and, uh, you know, what the Qualskers are doing, which is uh, violating every ethical norm that has ever existed in any human society so that you could, you know, chase that paper and you know bank that chatter or whatever you want to call it right so i don't say about it it's depressing i've dealt with it personally in my life a little too much and i don't know what the solution is i do think the film rate is one interesting issue though and that is that the you know what's legal and what's ethical are are not always the same thing i mean you try to match those things up as as closely as you can but doesn't always work like that, right? So you saw in the film, um, Bob Ross, before he died, uh, signed over his personal assets and his the right his rights to his person to his uh, half brother and his son. But he gave his half brother fifty one percent, and he gave his son forty nine percent because he thought his son was too young, and that was a huge mistake because what happened was that fifty one percent forty nine division allowed his half brother to sell his rights to uh, the Kowalskis for, for in some shady way. We don't know exactly how that went down, but there, there was insinuated there was some shadiness involved there, right? And there was certainly some shadiness because Bob Ross clearly intended for there to be a split, right? Half the money, roughly half the money would go to his half-brother, roughly half the money would go to his son. But the way the deal was done, um, his son didn't end up getting, end up getting anything. And the half-brother... We don't know. We don't know what the deal was, right? I don't think we don't have the documents, or at least it wasn't presented in the documentary. But it seems like the half brother is getting everything in terms of family members, uh, and the Kowalskis are getting the rest. And so it's, I mean, it's crazy, right? Like it's it's it's, and, and but you see that that's just a legal technicality, right? That's clearly not what Bob Ross wanted to do. It's clearly not what the ethical thing to do, right? The ethical thing to do would have been to try to follow his wishes. But what it seems like, it seems like technically it was legal right so technically all of this was legal but it's clearly unethical um and so one thing i think the documentary really does highlight is how the legal system is is uh imperfect in um in aligning itself to ethical norms right there's lots of stuff that's legal but totally unethical and that's true in a lot of, I mean, that's true on half the stuff Wall Street does is, you know, technically legal, but super unethical and super against the spirit of the law. And so I think the film does highlight something very important, which is, you know, a flaw in um, the American legal system in particular. Because I don't know how, um, how this compares to like a civil law system, for example, that you have in, in, Continental Europe or something like that. This is an issue of common law or 
or whatever. But I mean, clearly, uh, this was not what Bob Ross intended. And yet, because of a legal technicality, this is what happened. Right. And there's something wrong with the legal system that allows this sort of thing to happen, right? You would think there should be a judge who can take a look at this and be like, this is bullshit, right? Clearly, yes, technically he gave 49% to his son, but that's just because he was younger and he figured, and this uncle of his, this guy's guy not ethical or anything. So look, we're going to do a 50-50 split. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what should have happened, but it didn't because the system isn't set up that way. So maybe we do need a little bit more leeway maybe we need to give judges a little bit more leeway to interpret laws a little bit more loosely uh so that these stupid legal technicalities uh, aren't such a big problem um and yeah you saw that so you saw that in the financial crisis right where uh banks would make loans to people who couldn't afford to pay them back technically legal super unethical so it's interesting to me that we as a society you know, haven't been able to solve that issue because it, it seems like we know what's ethical or we have pretty good ethical guidelines. Uh, why can't we, why can't we write laws that uh, appeal to the, those common sense sets of ethics? Why do we have to write laws that are so bound by literal wording and precedent? And um, I don't know. I it, It's a, it's an interesting issue that, I think the doc that documentary raises right. Uh, you can be and do absolutely evil things and still stay on the right side of the law. Well, what's law for then, right? Like, what what what's the purpose of of a legal system? What's the purpose of having a law if you can, um, if you can, you know, figuratively get away with murder, right? And what's what's the point of all this? Why do we have all these contracts? And you know, what if if you can do something horrible like stealing uh, a dead man's uh, rights to his own name uh, and essentially you know, uh, disinheriting one of the sons after the, after his father has died, right? So his father isn't clearly against the intentions of his father. Uh, what's the point of having lawyers and judges and if they can't if they can't, you know, understand that that's wrong, <laughs> what's the point of all of this? It just seems like it just seems uh, there should be some way of of rectifying these situations, and and then we wouldn't have to have a Netflix documentary, right? I mean, that's part of the reason why we have these sorts of documentaries, um, and this is true for a lot of things. I mean, I, I watched a documentary long ago, and I did it on the show about uh, the opioid crisis, and the, the Sackler family who just completely devastated wide swaths of America with, with, and flooded them with opioids, killing hundreds of thousands of people, totally legal. <laughs> totally legal. Totally legal to kill hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, but, you know, because they have lawyers and they have, and so everything was legal, but hundreds of thousands of people are dead. Uh, you know, states have spent billions and billions of dollars on healthcare costs. Uh, and in the end, you know, there was some reckoning, right? There was some, but it, it, a decade for that reckoning to happen and you know it's it's i still don't i don't know the exact end but i still don't know if they've even admitted wrongdoing right like i think they're settling with, with some of these states and with, uh, with the federal government but i you know i i don't know that they're actually admitting that they broke the law so what's the point of all this law if you can't stop things like uh i don't know intentionally addicting hundreds of thousands of people to these drugs What's the point of having laws if you if you can't stop things like, uh, you know, the Kowalski stealing uh, Bob Ross's name after he dies? I mean, what's the point of having all these laws if 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 these basic things that are obviously immoral um, uh, don't run afoul of them? What's the point of having law if you if you can't stop basically evil things from happening? So I I think a lot of these documentaries and this one included raises that question right i mean it raises these failings in, in in the in the legal system uh there should be laws against doing this kind of thing or there should be more uh leeway granted to judges to to fix this sort of thing and throw these things out um so and and, and focus more on you know what what it, what is what is 
common sense ethical rather than what is technically legal. Uh, and so, I don't know. And, and the comment of the ethical thing to do in this would be to, you know, to honor Bob's wishes of, of dividing the estate between uh, his two family members, which is who he gave it to. Which is what the document says, right? So it's just, um, it, it's just a depressing thing to, to think about that you live in a society where something like this is, is possible. Um, and I don't know what to do about it. You know, I, don't, I mean, clearly there's some sort of legal reform that needs to happen. And, but, but in the absence of that, like public pressure, I think is, is one of the few things that works. And you've already seen people on social media are very pissed off at the Bob Ross company. <laughs> the Bob Ross company is like tweeting out like, Hey, that, that documentary is one-sided. Well, I mean, they asked them to interview, obviously, and they said no. So of course it's one-sided. Um, but and, and and these documentaries are always difficult because when when you when you get only one side of the story, it it's it's hard to you know it's hard to judge the whole picture because you are only getting one side. But even with that caveat, what's depicted in the documentary is clearly fucked up, right? It's clearly unethical to pressure someone who's dying to sign over the rights to his name. Uh, the Kowalskis were clearly in it for the money uh, and super, super gritty, which in and of itself, I guess, isn't unethical, but it, it does speak to, you know, the the veracity of, of the claims that are made in the documentary uh, about, you know, just how far they're willing to go to, to get that money. And I don't know, like, it just it just seems like, it seems like such a bad example. Like, like, what are they getting out of this? So Bob Ross is dead. They're getting all the money. What are they going to do with the money? Right? Like, what what are they doing with the money? Like, what are they... They're... I mean, they're pro- they must be very old now. Because uh, uh, Annette Kowalski is in the, in the film in the 90s. She looks like she's in her 70s. So she must be quite old if she's still alive. I believe she is. Like, well, I mean, when they look back on their lives and they say, oh, we defrauded a beloved artist out of millions of, and his son out of millions of dollars, and yay. Like, what? Like, how do you live with yourself with some shit like that? I, I don't get it, right? I mean, I just don't, I don't get why you would do this. And especially since, I mean, they could have settled for less, right? I mean, they were his business partners. So they could have gone to uh, the half-brother and said, look, we're his business partners. You know, we know how to run the business. Look, we'll cut you guys in. He wanted he wanted you both, uh, both of you guys. So look, we'll give you thirty percent. We'll give um, you know uh, his son thirty percent, and we'll take thirty percent. And we'll each take a third. And and they could have that would have been plenty of money, and it would have been the ethical thing to do, right? Why cut the son out um, when you know that's the wrong thing to do morally, and then have to live with that knowledge that yes, you're getting more money. But you, you know, you you fucked over uh, uh, Bob Ross's son. You um, you fucked over Bob Ross, even though he's dead. But you dishonored his memory in that way. He he was a good friend of yours, and according and according to the documentary, and that was you know his lover for some time. I mean, why do that, right? How can you live with yourself? wouldn't it be better to take less money or find some other way of making money or I don't know it just makes no sense to me and and speaking as someone who's has seen this behavior firsthand uh, in my own personal life I don't get it right I don't get how people can put money at the center of their lives to that extent uh, and I admittedly have a bit of the opposite problem, which is that I am more artistic minded and I, I kind of like, well, I'll do this podcast and I don't know, maybe we'll make some money, you know, and uh, I have a bit more business sense than that. But you know, I am very conscious of, of you know, it, it, it's, um, you know, it's meaning first and money second. That's how life should be, right? I mean, find the things that are meaningful to you and then find a way to make the money to to chase that meaning. But you should be chasing the meaning, not the money. And Bob knew that, right? Bob Ross knew that. And that's one reason why I really respect Bob Ross after seeing this documentary. And I respect his son, because his son knows that. But 
so many people like Annette and Bob just Kowalski just don't know that um and you know the damage that the people like that do to society is awful but the damage to themselves is also awful do you know what I mean like I'm sure that um that the Bob Ross's son, I'm sure that uh, he wishes that he could have gotten some money out of his father's estate uh, as his father had wanted. I'm sure that would have made his life easier in many ways. But, you know, it's... It's... um. It's about what's right, right? It's not about the money for him. It's about the money for the Kowalskis. And uh, I I just don't know how they they live with themselves with that kind of thing. And especially, it's just so weird that, like... So, I believe the, the Bob Ross Incorporated is now run by the Kowalski's daughter, whose name is Joan. Isn't it weird that you run a corporation based on someone else's work and likeness? And you make tons of money. Isn't it just weird? Like, why do we allow that to even happen? Like, how can... Just because someone dies, like, now, you know, their family has no say in in how their work is uh, presented to the world? Like, just some random person <laughs> whose parents had done business with him when he was alive, now they control everything? There's something weird there. And uh, and maybe that's something that we should look into as a matter of law because it's it's actually really strange. Why why are dead... Why don't... Shouldn't dead... Shouldn't... I mean, couldn't the law try to reason about what the dead person's wishes were? And uh, I mean, do we, does anyone really think that Bob Walsh wanted the Kowalskis to, to own his company? <laughs> does anyone think he wanted that? And even though he's dead, shouldn't what he wanted matter? Shouldn't it matter somewhat? You say, well, how do you know? He's dead. Well, okay, but I mean, we can sort of guess. I mean, we can, I mean, we can, I mean, you don't know for sure, but you can kind of guess as to what he would have wanted. Isn't that guess better than nothing? He didn't sign the company over to them. Signed the company over to his, uh, um, to his family. So, and everyone t- is testifying that, so what, can't you, shouldn't, shouldn't a dead person's opinion matter? Um, uh, uh, shouldn't, shouldn't the, our estimate of what a dead person might think matter at least somewhat? I mean, when you're dealing with the person himself and his likeness, shouldn't that matter? Uh, it's really weird. It's really, it's just a really weird situation. And me personally, like, I don't, I'm not a Bob Ross fan. I, I'm not planning on buying any Bob Ross merchandise anytime soon. But if I were a Bob Ross fan, I wouldn't buy merchandise from them. But I'd, I'd rather buy it from a company that his son makes. Uh, I wouldn't want to support this bullshit. Like, it's bullshit. It's a complete bullshit. So, um... So, anyways, I, I think it's an interesting film. It's, um... You know, it's not it's not a product film. You know, I, I, I'm interested in anything that has to do with greed. Um and this certainly has has greed in spades. I think there are some lessons to be learned from you know, from how all of the characters in the story uh, re- reacted. Uh, I, I think the Kowalskis are, you know, horrible people. Um and I, I do think there's a lesson in just you know how chasing money can erode uh, the the ethical behavior that that makes a happy life possible. I I don't think the Kowalskis are happy people. I really don't. <laughs> I I don't. Uh, I think Bob Ross is pretty happy though. Uh, um, and I think that you know the people who are in his classes and who are learning and uh, you know so it's just you know. Money is is important. You have to be you have to pay bills. You gotta uh, you gotta make money. Um, but there is a severe danger in allowing it to take over your life. Uh, and that's a story that's been told quite a bit in fiction. Uh, and 
it's we've seen it in in documentary form. I you know I didn't expect it to see it in the Bob Ross form. That was not something that I was expecting to see. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. It, it it is interesting. It, it just shows how pervasive everything is, right? Uh, um, how greed is. Right? Uh, it comes. Uh, it's everywhere, and it's something that I think everyone needs to watch out for. Um, and yeah. Gotta be careful with that stuff, because it uh, it can it can devolve into entire mess. So I think that's what we can learn uh, from the documentary, and and maybe there are some specific things that need to be done in terms of uh, you know laws about how a dead person's rights are handled after they're gone. Uh, maybe there should be some basic guiding principles that no one can violate, even if they sign their own name over, right? Uh, you know, contracts signed under pressure are sometimes invalidated under law. Maybe we need to expand that a little bit. Um, maybe, you know, maybe a dead a family member should always have a say in their their deceased relative's um, affairs, no matter what. Uh, or you know, just, um, you know, scrutinize uh, these sorts of contracts more heavily. Maybe we need to give judges more leeway in determining these things. Uh, it just seems very strange that uh, things happened the way that they did. So, I don't know, maybe there's some lessons there too, but again, mostly to me, this is a story about about greed, and I guess it's kind of a fucked up story because it, it seems like the greedy people won, Right, uh, the Kowalskis are doing very well for themselves, and that is that does seem unfair. And so it's not a, a your typical greed story. Well, greed destroys the people who were greedy. I mean, greed in this case destroyed the people who weren't greedy. Um, and the Kowalskis may never get their comeuppance, I guess. Although that might be coming now because the documentary has exposed their uh, their company for what it is. But I just I can't imagine that the people who run the Bob Ross company are, you know, satisfied with their lives or, you know, feel good about themselves on the inside. And it's good to be rich, but it really depends how you get rich. And I think there is a lesson there. I'm sure the Kowalskis love the money, but you know what? Even better is if you have money and you made the money in an honest way. And you can look back and you can say, you know, I did everything right, ethical, moral, and I'm still here and I still made the money. And, you know, I think that's a better way to live. Uh, and uh, yes, you have some of these cases where people make a lot of money uh, fucking other people over and doing unethical things. But I, I always think that they know it, right? I think they always know in their hearts that they don't deserve it. And it's hard to enjoy the money when you know you don't deserve it. When you know you really didn't earn it. And Bob Ross earned that money. And the Kowalski stole it. That's basically what happened. Now, now the legal does the legal system recognize that that way? No. But that's basically what happened. So I have a hard time thinking the Kowalskis are enjoying that money or enjoying their lives the way they could be. Because deep down they know, and I think that's true for a lot of people. I think that's true for the hedge fund people. I don't think Dick Fold is a particularly happy person, <laughs> right? Um, he's got tons of money. I don't think he's a very happy person. And I know some personal experience too, by the way. I've known guys like Dick Fold. Um, and, you know, look him up, kids, if you don't know who he is, by the way. Google him. So, Yeah. I, 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 you know, the, we don't see the Kowalskis in this film all that much. We only see them in archival footage. But uh, I think one of the reasons why they didn't want to appear in the documentary is they don't want to face these questions. Because they know they did something wrong. And they don't want their faces to be shown when confronted with the evidence that they've committed these would basically amount to moral crimes right they don't want that experience and they know they're gonna live the rest of their lives trying to evade that scrutiny 
So I don't, I don't think, you know, you might come away from the documentary thinking, you know, the Kowalski's made off with all the money, you know, they win and, uh, you know, Steve Ross, the son loses. Mm, I don't know. There's more to it than that, right? There's more to it than that. Yes, they got the money, but I, I may take any, anyone who made money in an ethical way. I think it always haunts them. I really do. I think there are people like Warren Buffett who, you know, they make a lot of money and it's pretty ethical. Maybe there's a couple investments here and there that, you know, were shady. But, I mean, mostly ethical. Uh, same thing with Bill Gates. You know, I'm sure Microsoft did a lot of fucked up things in, uh, in terms of competition and everything. But, you know, at the end of the day, they saw the computer revolution coming before anybody else. They made a good product. Yeah, they had some hard-nosed business tactics, but... You know, it was business versus business. They weren't fucking over individual people, right? I mean, it, you know, you can. If I if I were Bill Gates, I could live with myself, right? I can I can say, okay, I made a ton of money, and it was mostly ethical. Yeah, a couple here things here and there that were pretty hardcore, but it was you know, it's just business. Uh, we didn't fuck over anybody personally. We weren't stealing money. We created a product that people actually use, and most people use like every day. Um, you know, if I'm Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, you know, I can look back and say, you know, I, I, I did a lot of good um, in making that money. So I, I, I'd feel okay with it. I would not feel okay if I were the Kowalskis. <laughs> I'd feel like I'd feel like a couple of low rent uh, hucksters, right? Which is what they are, according to this documentary. Now, we don't know because we they weren't involved in the documentary we haven't heard the side of the story but according to the documentary there are a couple of low-run hucksters and that's how i would feel if i were them and is that feeling worth you know having a tesla in the garage and you're having a nice house and having a little bit of money in the bank nah. I, not for me right uh and i do think it haunts them uh, and I think it haunts most people who make money in, in in unethical ways. And so we don't see that explicitly in the film because they're not in the film. But I do think that that's probably the situation. So um, that would be a lesson I would draw from the movie is uh, if you're going to make a lot of money, do it in an ethical way, kids. Because that's um, doing it in the unethical way is isn't going to be is it is not going to be as fun. It's not going to be as fun, and and you won't be able to enjoy the money. Right? You won't be you won't be able to enjoy all that money if you do it in a way that's not, uh, it's not on the up and up. So, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's basically what I got. I, again, that is not the lesson I expected to get from the Bob Ross documentary, but. <laughs> A little weird, <laughs> a little weird. Um, but that 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 that's basically the story. I'm sure there's something to be said about, you know, the relationship between commerce and art, and about Bob Ross himself. You know, the documentary doesn't focus on Bob Ross's connection to money. It does mention briefly that uh, you know he was interested in success. He wanted to be on more stations. He wanted more people. Uh, to hear the people around him tell it, that was mostly because he was in it for the, um, you know, for the good of it, for loving the art and um, um, and for the love of teaching more people. And and the money wasn't a bad thing either, right? As I mentioned he he liked to buy nice cars and stuff. So you know, I I think Bob Ross had a more of a normal reaction to fame and to money. I think he. He liked the money, but he also liked the work, and so it was, you know, it's more of a balanced thing. Um, but there is there's one issue that I, I think, and this may just not have appealed to Bob Ross, and, and I mentioned this earlier in my own reaction, is that I, I don't think he was a good painter. <laughs> and I do sort of wonder if he thought in the back of his mind, like, you know, why am I making all this money and so famous for being a painter when I'm not actually that good of a painter? And I think the answer to that question is, I, I doubt he saw himself as a good painter. I doubt he saw himself as Picasso, or I doubt he saw himself as an artist. He saw himself as an art therapist, and I think that's I think that's how he would rectify that in his mind. And it actually does make some sense. Right? It actually doesn't make some sense that what he was doing wasn't promoting art per se; it's promoting the experience of learning how to paint. And so that's a different thing. 
a different thing. And honestly, the average person isn't going to be that good of a painter anyways. It's not about creating something that's good. It's about, you know, experiencing the, uh, learning something new and learning how to create and learning how to, you know, use the visual part of your mind. And so, you know, it, that's what it's about. It's not about creating high art and there's a place for that. So I, yeah, I, I think Bob Ross can sort of justify his success and, um, and justify his behavior. I, there's nothing in the documentary or in the other materials I've read that, that would suggest that Bob Ross um, did anything unethical. Uh, and, and that weird contradiction between him being a bad artist, but being an art teacher, a very famous artist, uh, is, I, I think, reconcilable, you know, because it, it, he wasn't, that wasn't his talent, right? He wasn't a good artist. He was a good art teacher. And so it makes sense. So I, um, the Kowalskis are nobody, right? They're just like people who, who were just grifting off of this dude's success. Like, and I just, I have a problem with grifters. I just have a problem with grifting. I hate it. I hate grifting. There's too much grift in this world. So anyways, this podcast is a little unorganized and probably not as better as good as some of the other ones, but you know, I'm as I mentioned before in previous episodes, I'm I'm working on another podcast. I'm night and day, twenty four seven on that podcast, and I'm just kind of throwing these together off the cuff. So I'm you know I'm doing the best I can to keep this thing going. I don't want it to stop. Um, but I am you know working twenty four seven on something else. So <sighs> I don't think this is my best, but <laughs> honestly, I don't think Bob Ross was the best of what he did either. And I don't think this documentary is really the best. So it kind of fits the theme. Kind of fits the theme that this, uh, we're kind of phoning in. I think Bob Ross kind of phoned in his art. I think the documentary producers phoned in this uh, documentary. And I'm phoning in the commentary podcast about it. So <laughs> I'm fine with it. I'm fine with this podcast not being the best. I think it actually kind of fits the whole uh, the whole idea. So Anyways, yeah, and um, I will, um, of course, let everybody know when the new podcast is ready. It should be in just a couple of weeks, and uh, I'll mention it on this show, and we can, we can talk about it then. So, all right. Thank you, everybody. That was the pictures, and that was Bob Ross. What was the fucking subtitle on this thing again? Oh, come on. Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal, and Greed. All right. Thank you very much. I'd like to kiss you, but I just washed my hair. Bye.